everything is material. That refers to a essay based on a talk by Gurdjieff given in Essentuki in 1918, which I'm going to share with you here in a moment. And the reason is because I'm, I'm a materialist. And I don't mean that in the judgmental Marxian sense that people tend to use that word with nowadays to mean that basically you're, you're greedy. You're a greedy asshole, you know. Um, but materialism is a philosophical and metaphysical perspective in which we perceive all phenomena in the universe as having a material basis. Now, another misconception that people will have about this is that if you are a materialist, then you must be an atheist, that you cannot believe in magic, that you cannot believe in uh, a transformation of being or the process that Setians like to call kefir can be possible. And what I want to point out is that that is not true. There's um, a number of systems that have been of a material basis. Starting out with is uh, Zoroastrianism. Ancient Zoroastrianism is basically a materialist system. There's no um, Platonic spirit realm that has no substance in that system. And there's been a variety of perspectives that have grown out since then. It's hard for us to see them. In, in, in the West, the last uh, 100 or so years, I think, of the West have been very platonically dominated. So you have that platonic dualism perspective, which, which states that there are physical things and then there are ideas. There's the ideal realm, which doesn't actually have any kind of you know, physical substance, but it, it somehow still exists. So this idea that um, everything is material is, is put out there very well by Gurdjieff here in this essay. So I'm going to share this with you now and we'll discuss it as we go through it. So again, this is Essentuki, 1918. Everything in the world is material and... In accordance with universal law, everything is in motion and is constantly being transformed. The direction of this transformation is from the finest matter to the coarsest and vice versa. Between these two limits, there are many degrees of density of matter. Moreover, this transformation of matter does not proceed evenly and consecutively. So this is, to step back from this for a second right here, this is how, when people can't understand, well, how can there be a soul or uh, how can there be a psyche if, if um, and, and, and it still be material? And well, this is how, because there's, there's uh, different degrees of the fineness of, of matter. You know, he says, finest matter to the coarsest. So not everything that is material is something you can see or touch. And that's a scientific fact. There's nothing radical about that. You can't see oxygen. 
and there's a microbial world of, of um, living creatures, which we had no idea about until we discovered microscopes able to see it. So it's entirely plausible that um, there are things that exist beyond our undetectable by our senses, yet do have a material existence. And this is just another way of saying, well, they really exist. They exist in the real world. There is a real world and there are a lot of things in it. So it continues. At some points in the development, there are, as it were, stops or transmitting stations. These stations are everything that can be called organisms in the broadest sense of the word. The sun, the earth, man, and microbe. These stations are commutators which transform matter both in its ascending movement when it becomes finer, and in its descending movement toward greater density. This transformation takes place purely mechanically. So the image that Gurdjieff is, is painting for us here is that every organic being is, is sort of, has a magnetic quality. It draws certain things to it and, and spits out certain things from it. And that every organism like this, is, as when you look at it as a transmitting station, it's like every organism is a center. And, and the way he equates it, Earth, uh, you know, sun, earth, man, and microbe, it also uh, harkens, in my view, to uh, the magus Aleister Crowley's idea that every man and every woman is a star from the Book of the Law. And this is an, an, uh, an integral uh, concept in, in, in Thelema. So he considers, matter is the same everywhere, but at each different level, matter has a different density. Therefore, each substance has its own place in the general scale of matter, and it is possible to tell whether it is on the way to becoming finer or denser. So this is, this is significant, that what he's saying is that when you encounter matter it's always possible to to tell if it's on basically if it's becoming coarser or denser that's like saying if it's on on the way in or if it's on the way out what direction is this going okay because you hear me talk about that how there's a an ascending current and a descending current within the uh, law of seven or the ray of creation. And this has to do with the direction that matter is going in. And this is important because you need to eventually become aware of the direction that you're going in. Commutators differ only in scale. Man is as much a transmitting station as, for instance, the earth or the sun. He has in him the same mechanical processes, the same transformation goes on in him of higher forms of matter into lower and of lower into higher. So you witness these processes of the transformation of matter occurring outside of yourself initially. And as you come to recognize those patterns, you eventually will be able to see them happening within yourself in the internal universe. And then you can start making efforts to enhance or change that.
internal process that is happening. This transformation of substances in two directions, which is called evolution and involution, proceeds not only along the main line from the absolutely fine to the absolutely coarse and vice versa, but at all intermediate stations, on all levels, it branches aside. A substance needed by some entity may be taken by it and absorbed, thus serving the evolution or involution of that entity. Everything absorbs, that is, eats something else, and also itself serves as food. This is what reciprocal exchange means. This reciprocal exchange takes place in everything, in both organic and inorganic matter. So there's an old saying that you make grape juice when you could make wine. And this is a saying that harkens back to this principle that Everything absorbs, everything eats something else, and everything itself serves as food for something. So, you have to think that you are food for something. Now, that'd be really apparent if we were living in the caveman days and you have to worry about, uh, you know, saber-toothed tigers coming to eat you. Uh, or maybe we do have to worry about that nowadays. I keep hearing that some Swedish... Climate change experts have suggested that we need to consider to start eating uh, other human beings. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not into cannibalism. I don't think it's cool. Cannibalism is not cool. But when you think about yourself serving as food for something, you know, there's food for, food for worms, obviously, when you fall into the ground. But you're also food for things as you're alive. So just... Reflect on that. Ponder that for a while. So uh, G continues, As I have said, everything is in motion. No motion follows a straight line, but has simultaneously a twofold direction, circling around itself and falling toward the nearest center of gravity. This is the law of falling, which is usually called the law of motion. Now, note here, he uses this principle throughout Beelzebub's tales to his grandson when he talks about um, the spaceships and space travel. He talks about space travel as, as essentially an act of falling towards something. Centering in using certain you know, technologies, um, centering into the gravitation the center of gravity of a certain heavenly body and then falling towards that body. So from that point of view, getting to Mars is a matter of falling to Mars. Now, if you're way up in Mars's atmosphere, you'd fall right into it and you'd get that. You jump out of a plane on Earth, you get falling towards the, uh, uh, towards the center of gravity of planet Earth. You get that pretty easily. But what he's saying here is that way outside of the gravitational pull, what you feel is outside of the gravitational pull of Mars, uh, there is a way of like tapping into it. And so this is a basis in astrology too. The whole basis of astrology is based on a really ancient idea that 
that all of these planetary influences, they do have a pull on, on you organically here, on all organic life that is within the realm of, of, of the solar system, basically is subject to and, and, and connected to um, all of these other heavenly bodies, all of these other transmuter stations, as he calls them. So he continues, these universal laws were known in very ancient times. We can come to this conclusion on the basis of historical events which could not have taken place if in the remote past men had not possessed this knowledge. From the most ancient times, people knew how to use and control these laws of nature. This directing of mechanical laws by man is magic and includes not only transformation of substances in the desired direction, but also resistance or opposition to certain mechanical influences based on the same laws. People who know these universal laws and know how to use them are magicians. Like great knowledge, magic, which has existed from the most ancient times, has never been lost. And knowledge is always the same. Only the form in which this knowledge was expressed and transmitted changed, depending on the place and the epoch. For instance, now we speak in a language which 200 years hence will no longer be the same. And 200 years ago, the language was different. In the same way, the form in which the great knowledge is expressed is barely comprehensible to subsequent generations and is mostly taken literally. In this way, the inner content becomes lost for most people. In the history of mankind, we see two parallel and independent lines of civilization, the esoteric and the exoteric. Invariably, one of them overpowers the other and develops, while the other fades. A period of esoteric civilization comes when there are favorable external conditions, political and otherwise. Then, knowledge clothed in the form of a teaching corresponding to the conditions of time and place, becomes widely spread. Thus it is with Christianity. But while for some people religion serves as guidance, for others it is only a policeman. Christ, too, was a magician, a man of knowledge. He was not God, or rather, he was God, but on a certain level. So you have to understand the perspective of Gurdjieff here. Is It's similar to the idea that you see in um, Flowers, Lords of the Left Hand Path in regards to Christ, that uh, Jesus was a magician, or from a Zoroastrian point of view, he was a Saoshan. Even Crowley recognizes him as uh, one of the ma Magi in his um, essay, The Dinosaurs, from the Book of Lies. Uh, as, as a series of magi, a series of, and, th and this is an idea that comes from Zoroastrianism as well, as a series of Saoshans or individuals who have connected with the other side or whose Fravashi has like uh, manifested, fully remanifested within them um, while they're here on this earth and they 
uh, can speak of knowledge from beyond or of knowledge, aeonic knowledge, as it is sometimes called. And he makes a distinction here. So, so Ospensky uh, makes this distinction really well, too, when he talks about the difference between esoteric Christianity and church Christianity. And, you know, all of us here in this day and age listening to this podcast, I guarantee you, you know, 99% of everything that you've ever heard from Christianity is church Christianity. And you have to dig a little bit deeper. You dig a little bit deeper into the Gospels. And what starts to emerge is really a totally different system than what all of these uh, all these Christians going to church and stuff are talking about nowadays. I mean, in the Catholic Church, you just watch the Catholic Church, how they make their statements every few years to become more in alignment with the political left. Um, and, and then, you know, several decades back, they were trying to align themselves with the political right. And it's just such a secular organization uh, it's just it, it's not even possible that they could have uh, re- retained some contact with the original esoteric teachings that that came forth. The first problem with that system is is coercion, that they do not recognize um, the problem of coercion, the problem of force, that, that this is the essential evil. This is the essential immoral act is to force someone else into something. And they don't have any problem with it at all. It's a history of force. And the only reason that they don't force now is because it's politically incorrect in some ways to do that. So, but still they support the rest of the corrupt uh, governmental and public school system for uh, force, which is still a problem. Yet, ironically, people uh, will take their kids out of public school and send them to private schools, which are often Catholic. Um, because those are better schools than the public schools. So that's a whole other can of worms there. But the important thing to keep in mind is when G is talking about Christ and Christianity here, he's not talking about church Christianity that, that, that you've grown up becoming accustomed to and rebel, rightly, in most cases, rebelling against. So it continues, the true meaning and significance of many events in the Gospels are almost forgotten now. For instance, the Last Supper was something quite different from what people usually think. What Christ mixed with bread and wine gave to the disciples was really his blood. To explain this, I must say something else. Everything living has an atmosphere around itself. The difference lies only in its size. The larger the organism, the larger its atmosphere. In this respect, every organism can be compared to a factory. A factory has an atmosphere around it composed of smoke, steam, waste materials, and certain admixtures which evaporate in the process of production. The value of these component parts varies in exactly the same way human atmosphere is composed of different elements. And as the atmosphere of different factories has a different smell, so has the atmosphere of different people. For a more sensitive nose, for instance for a dog, it is impossible to confuse the atmosphere of one man with the atmosphere of another. And as a dog owner myself, 
an avid dog lover. This is so true. I mean, my, my dogs, they're, you know, they, they will decide a certain person that they don't like that person. And I won't be able to see anything different from this person from another, another guy. And they just won't like them. But then some people they like. And there's a completely different olfactory and, and, and perhaps aura type world that, that they are akin to. So G continues, I have said that man is also a station for transforming substances. Parts of the substances produced in the organism are used for the transformation of other matters, while other parts go into his atmosphere, that is, are lost. So here too, the same thing happens as in a factory. Thus, the organism works not only for itself, but also for something else. Men of knowledge know how to retain the fine matters in themselves and accumulate them. Only a large accumulation of these fine matters enables a second and lighter body to be formed within man. Ordinarily, however, the matters composing man's atmosphere are constantly used up and replaced by man's inner work. Man's atmosphere does not necessarily have the shape of a sphere. It constantly changes its form. In times of strain, of threat, or of danger, it becomes stretched out in the direction of the strain. Then the opposite side becomes thinner. Man's atmosphere takes up certain space. Within the limits of this space, it is attracted by the organism. But beyond a certain limit, particles of the atmosphere become torn off and return no more. This can happen if the atmosphere is greatly stretched out in one direction. The same happens when a man moves. Particles of his atmosphere become torn off, are left behind, and produce a trail by which a man can be traced. These particles may quickly mix with the air and dissolve, but they may also stay in place for a fairly long time. Particles of atmosphere also settle on a man's clothes, underclothes, and other things belonging to him, so that a kind of track remains between them and the man. Magnetism, hypnotism, and telepathy are phenomena of the same order. The actions of magnetism is direct. The action of hypnotism is at a short distance through the atmosphere. Telepathy is action at a greater distance. Telepathy is analogous to the telephone or telegraph. In these, the connections are metal wires. But in telepathy, they are the trail of particles left by a man. A man who has the gift of telepathy can fill this trail with his own matter and thus establish a connection, forming, as it were, a cable through which he can connect on a man's mind. If he possesses some object belonging to a man then, having thus established a connection, he fashions round this object an image out of wax or clay, and acting upon it, thus acts upon the man himself. So, 
again, a lot of this essay describes how the universe can be metaphysically based on matter. We can live in a Aristotelian universe of real things and still experience obscure phenomena, esoteric phenomena, magical happenings without having to rely on uh, Platonic dualism to explain it. And one of the first keys of tapping into these incredible aspects of human potential begins with learning to observe and to sense and feel your physical presence. So a lot of people start off uh, getting into magic and the occult by getting into visualization and stretching out your imagination. And there'd be some value in that um, as an exercise. But really the thing that, that really helps you get somewhere substantial is the practice that I talk about in Daemonosophy and which is actually the original and only practice prescribed by uh, Zarathustra and by Gurdjieff through the character of Ashiata Shimash in Beelzebub's Tales and that is the practice of uh, the sitting or silent meditation of uh, taking the practice of every day at least 15 minutes early in the morning before you do anything else sitting quietly completely motionless without talking without trying to visualize things or focus your mind on this or that but only to experience the sensation of your physical presence in this world just focusing on that sensation you know in your body your hands touching each other you know your feet on the ground focusing on that and over time you begin to become aware of these other processes that are going on and are able to have more effect on them but the thing is is in order to have more effect on these things you have to have more effect on yourself so this is the whole it goes back to the whole question of power what does it mean to have power and and granted a lot of people get into these ideas they want to have power over stuff over people power over others and and the problem with that is that in focusing on these external things, you actually destabilize yourself and, and it allows room for chaos to creep into the soul. And it allows an opportunity for, um, you know, for the, for the druge and for mechanicalism and entropy to enter into being. So the secret is, is that Power, yeah, is a thing, but you have to focus on having power over yourself. 
And if you do that, then you remanifest yourself as the commutator um, that that Gurdjieff speaks of. The transmitting station. The transformer. That's what you are. You're a transformer. You have impressions coming in. Impressions and, and materials coming in. And you have uh, impressions and materials going out. And the people that are um, experiencing garbage and taking in garbage... They're going to put out garbage. They're going to shit out garbage. So you have to make a fundamental change in what you are, in what you receive, and what you output. And with all that in mind, my friends and fellow daemons, keep fighting the good fight. And always, always, always keep those dark fires burning.